Hello, hello, and welcome to Help Cymru Africa's podcast. I'm your host, Kath Molongo, and I'll be leading you through this series as we discuss what's important to the Wales Africa community working in global solidarity. This episode, we're talking about power and privilege, and it's being recorded with support from the FCDO under the Small Charities Challenge Fund. As I'm sure you know, Hub Cymru Africa offer a range of support to the Wales Africa community. Whether it's help fundraising, one-to-one advice, networking or training that you're looking for, our support is free. Just get in touch by emailing advice at hubcymruafrica.org.uk. First, let's have a listen to this podcast. I'm delighted to welcome Sub-Saharan Advisory Panel's Faith Israel. Faith, hi. Please can you introduce yourself? Hi, so I'm Faith. I am the Diaspora and Inclusion Officer at SSAP, uh, which is a diaspora-led organisation working to support the Wales and Africa community in global solidarity. I am also a human, lover of anti-capitalism and Greg Sausage Rolls. Nice. Welcome, Faith. Thank you very much. I feel like I should do a better introduction to myself. And Kath, also human, lover of life. Amazing. Amazing. (laughs) All right, Faith, tell us, uh, what can you expect? What can we expect from today's podcast? Who did you speak to? Um, So I spoke to Tina Adronema from The Better Org and Claire O'Shea from HCA. And we had a lovely, lovely chat about positionality. Brilliant. I'm looking forward to it. Let's have a listen. So hello. Hello, Tina. Hello, Claire. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me this morning or approaching afternoon. Um, I really appreciate you both making yourselves available to talk with us this morning uh, on positionality. Um, so I would like to pass over to Tina first, if you would like to introduce yourself. Indeed. Thank you so much, Faith, for the opportunity to be here today. Um, so my name is Tina Ajonema, and I'm the founder and the principal consultant at The Better Org. And The Better Org is an organisational development consultancy that works with organisations in the non-profit and social impact space to really explore how they can improve their internal ways of working so that they're able to have the most um, authentic um, and effective external impact. And um, we work with a lot of organizations uh, within international development on a number of different areas, including um, on DEI and anti-racism work, working with organizations who are looking to improve their DEI and anti-racism policy and their DEI and anti-racism practice as well. Amazing. That sounds, yeah, like you do wonderful, wonderful work. Um, Thank you so much again for being here. And I'm really looking forward to hearing from you. Uh, And Claire, if you could also please introduce yourself. I'm Claire O'Shea. I'm Head of Partnership at Hub Cymru Africa. So it feels strange to be introducing myself to Faith, but I guess that's the nature of the conversation this morning. Um, we're Wales's kind of leading global solidarity organisation. Um, we work across a partnership of four organisations, so Sub-Saharan African Advisory Panel, Welsh Centre for International Affairs, Wales and Africa Health Links Network and Fair Trade Wales to come together to work on issues of global solidarity and we support Wales and Africa Links 
across the whole of Wales um, and I also co-chair the Wales Overseas Agency Group which is um, a group of organisations in Wales who are generally the larger INGOs who either headquartered here or have their main, um, a main office here and we kind of lobby and advocate on behalf of um, international organisations. Amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Claire, for also making time to be here. Um, I'm really excited to yeah, have this conversation with the both of you. Um, and so for our listeners, um, I would love to hear uh, your description or how you would describe positionality. Um, firstly, in terms of an individual and then also an organisation. Um, so, Tina, I'm going to come to you first again. Thanks, Faith. Um, so, positionality is a really important concept for individuals and organisations to understand because it has a real connection to concepts of power and power dynamics. And so, when we think about positionality um, in terms of an individual, we're looking at the um, acknowledgement of a particular role or position an individual might inhabit within a specific socio-cultural or social-political space. And we think about the particular value that is ascribed to this role or position. And then we're also thinking about the impact that this role or position can have on other individuals and other groups within that space. Um, Positionality is usually thought of within the academic space, within the, um, you know, the process of, of knowledge creation. Um, and in this context, it, it traditionally looked at the role of a researcher. So a researcher who would go into a community or go into a group to conduct their research and really looking at the role or the position that researcher held because of specific demographic identities that they held that then would impact the power dynamic between that researcher and the community or group that they, that they were brought in to, 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 to um, speak with and, and, and undertake the knowledge creation with. If we think of if we think of it outside of the academic space, then we're thinking about um, specific uh, positions indiv- other individuals hold. Again, oftentimes aligned with specific identities that you hold. Again, which have a specific value which are ascribed to them because of the dominant social or cultural set um, space that they inhabit. So, an example could be, um, you know, in certain communities, religious leaders may hold specific positions that give them specific influence and specific power in other cultural settings by virtue of being a parent. That again means that you hold a specific position that gives you specific power and specific influence within that space. Mm-hmm. So positionality is often connected, but not exclusively, but often connected to you know demographic identity. So whether it's your gender, mm-hmm. whether it's your race, um, education or socioeconomic status. Um, so that's positionality in terms of an individual. Um, Because positionality is connected to power, obviously positionality also applies to organisations as well. And so when we're thinking about positionality of organisations, we're again thinking about the role or the power role, as I like to call it, that an organisation has in relation to other organisations or other individuals that exist within the ecosystem within which they operate. And then we're also thinking about the benefits or the lack thereof that it might confer upon a particular organisation. And when we're thinking about benefits, we're thinking about visibility, we're thinking about access, we're thinking about resources, and we're also thinking about ascribed value. So, you know, who is worthy in this space and who isn't. 
Thank you for that thorough description of positionality. I think that was really um, uh, insightful, I think as well. Also coming from uh, an academic background, that is that was my introduction to positionality. Um, but hearing about it um, from also an organisational perspective, I think is so, so important when having conversations around power and around privilege. Um, so thank you so much for that. Um, and Claire, I don't know if you had anything to add, obviously coming from um, an organisational standpoint um, regarding how you see uh, positionality. Uh, yeah, I'm so glad I'm the second person to speak on this because I don't have to offer any real expertise. I can just proffer some opinions. Um, similarly, I understood positionality originally as an academic position, literally. Um, I first discovered, actually not when I was at university myself, but when I undertook a professional qualification a few years later. And my research was on um, the ability of charities in Wales to advocate and campaign on behalf of vulnerable people. So I was working for a disabled persons charity at the time, and I was really observing the professional role of an organisation in advocating for vulnerable people. And it was at that point, not only did I begin to understand it as an academic principle, but I also began to understand it in terms of my professional role. So setting myself up as an advocate on behalf of somebody else, and actually what was my position in that should I be doing that work? Should I not be doing that work? Was I negotiating away other people's positions through my positionality and my understanding of the issues? So I studied it in quite a lot of detail and I won't necessarily bring my conclusions to the fore right now because that would be a really short podcast, but I'm sure I can bring um, some of that um, through in the further discussions. So it was at that point I really thought about my personal positionality as a white middle class woman living and working in Wales who manages to hold spaces with people with ascribed importance and being seen um, as kind of trustworthy or as um, or as someone who will be listened to and should I take that role or should I give that role to somebody else so it definitely is really hard for me to remove positionality from privilege entirely. Um, and I was also interested to I guess uh, being the head of partnership you work with um, and speak to many organisations uh, within Wales um, and I was curious to, I guess, get your perspective on positionality also from that Welsh organisation's perspective with the organisations that Hub Cymru Africa works with. Yeah, I think um, the, the good thing about working in a partnership and probably what drew me to Hub Cymru Africa always as an organisation in and of itself is the fact that it's a partnership and we can kind of work quite fluidly. So one of the partners can kind of remove themselves from an issue where their voice isn't necessarily needed or valid and we can make space for one of the partners to kind of fill that space. So that's what I really like about Hub Cymru Africa in terms of where we kind of bring other experts to the fore, where we sit back a little bit. So that's really important. We don't always do it perfectly. We do it imperfectly at times. Working in a kind of a limited resource organisation with a small staff team, we can't always do it as well as we might like to but I think it's important that that's something that we value um, and I think in terms of kind of smaller organisations in Wales I think in the last few years we've got 
particularly good or better at deciding that we don't need to be um, um, in the centre of conversation all the time and we can kind of hand over the reins to other organisations. And I think that's because we have started, although haven't finished um, identifying our positionality in, in the sector. And I think in the last two years is a result of kind of becoming much, much more in touch with external drivers um, and socioeconomic and social justice issues, we're getting better um, removing ourselves or acknowledging our position a bit more. And I think that's something we really want the rest of the sector in, in Wales to really embrace and understand. Thank you. Thank you. I think that actually leads really well onto the next uh, question I wanted to ask you both. And maybe you've, Claire, you've already started to answer that, but why would you say it's important um, for organisations to identify um, their position or positionality? So I think it's important to kind of identify positionality personally and organisationally because one, it allows you to be more effective in the space that you're occupying. So if you know you should be in that space, you can own it and you can be an advocate in it and you can have a strong voice in that space. If you can identify your positionality, you know when you need to step aside and let somebody else occupy that space. So you're not the best person to be making a case. Or if you're really lucky, you can open the door and bring someone else in and use your position to do that. Um, But it also, I think, stops organisations from being extractive. I see it fairly often where, you know, there's limited funding. There's limited funding, particularly in kind of the UK space in the last couple of years. People kind of do public fundraising and that kind of thing, which is not the be all and end all, but it's probably a focus of lots of the groups we work with. And actually, just because you hold a strong position and you're well known doesn't necessarily you should occupy a space in order to kind of build your own organisation up. I think that's something Hub Cymru Africa decided a long time ago that we'd never really engage in public fundraising or anything like that because we wouldn't want to occupy a space that smaller organisations doing effective work do. So that's an example of why your positionality identification is important. I also think that's from a kind of position of like power and privilege but it's all just also just really important sometimes in a positive way to acknowledge like geography location the very like obvious aspects of positionality um because it allows you to kind of maximize on your geographic reach and actually sometimes mobilize that for the benefit of other organizations so we have opportunities in wales that we should try and mobilize and then distribute um, distribute kind of resources as a result of us being able to mobilise that support mm-hmm. if it's appropriate. Thank you. Um, I think that was um, actually very insightful um, into reasons why it's so important for organisations to identify their positionality. I really um, loved what you said about when to take up space and when not to. I think that's very key um, and very useful Um, once an organisation or an individual uh, has identified uh, their positionality. Um, And Tina, I don't know if you wanted to um, add to that um, or had other reasons that you think um, uh, make identifying positionality so important for organisations. Yeah, thank you, Faith. And and just thank you, Claire, for everything you shared, because 
I would wholeheartedly agree with all of that. Um, I also really appreciated the point you made about um, positionality, um, helping to um, impede organizations from being extractive because we see that a lot in terms of the work that happens within the development space particularly. Um, and so I would say, just to add to what you said, I think there is a really important thing when we think about positionality, which is about context. And something positionality does is it doesn't just help you identify your position or the, um, it doesn't just help you identify the position, but it also helps you identify the context within which that position came to be. And then also the impact of that position and that role of other people who operate within your ecosystem. And I think that's really important to stress, particularly the context part, because I think if we're thinking about, you know, the development sector and we're thinking about the development sector ecosystem and we're thinking about the context of the ecosystem that contributes to positionality, we have to take into account the roots of the system. So we have to take into account colonialism, imperialism, white supremacy, capitalism, all of those things which um, have, you know, created an ecosystem within which um, specific organisations who have positions that mean that they are located in um, global um, North countries, um, organisations who have um, white leadership, organisations who um, are led by individuals from specific socioeconomic backgrounds. It means that they, those organisations are then ascribed a high level of power and influence and other organisations in that space, which then impacts the positionality that they hold. And an important thing for organizations to remember, as I've said, it's not just about, you know, the, the role that you hold. It's also about the context within which that position arose. And organizations need to remember that whenever they step into any space, into any ecosystem, they're not just bringing themselves, they're bringing that context with them as well. And that's an important, important factor they need to um, um, just consider as they're thinking about, OK, what does that mean for the power dynamics within the space? What does that mean for how I've shown up as an organisation, how others might receive me as an organisation? What does that mean for the positions that I hold and the positions that may be ascribed to me? So, you know, the position of expert, for example, we've often seen, you know, um, um, you have Global North organisations who come into a particular space who are given the title of expert, opposed to, you know, um, organisations who are actually based in, in, in communities and and you know so that so and, and that is there's a reason for that and the reason for that is all of you know all the things I've been saying about the roots of the sector, and how um how that kind of manifests and how you know the sector operates today, so um I think that's a really important consideration as well, um and a really important reason why organisations need to take the time to really think about their positionality. Thank you, thank you so much for that. I think yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I could not agree more with what you said, um, especially around um, context and how, you know, even when we show up, we are bringing our context with us, you know, and how that also interacts with other people's context and other organisations and spaces um, that, yeah, I, that really hit home for me. Like, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. So once an organisation has identify their position or maybe they're just doing the work to identify their position where would you say that they should go from there so in terms of thinking about okay as an organization we are so so and so and we occupy so and so spaces what now what next um so Tina I'm going to stick with you for this one 
Yeah, so um, this is a really important consideration because um, in this uh, work that we do, which is about creating more equitable and inclusive spaces, action is really important. So it's not enough to just, you know, have have recognised or acknowledged a certain, you know, position that you hold as an organisation. It's really important to think about, okay, what, what can happen next and how you might utilise that knowledge to, you know, to, to the betterment of others really. I will say that it's important to remember that the act of identifying positionality doesn't stop once you've done it. And the reason why it doesn't stop once you've done it is because again, it's, it can be context sensitive. So the position that you hold as an organization may shift or change depending mm-hmm. on the, um, the context that you're in. So, and so I say that to say that organizations need to kind of integrate this into their like regular practice so the idea of mm. thinking about who are we what power do we hold in this space how does that power manifest how do we utilize that power i think is a regular practice that organizations need to start adopting and um when we're kind of you know thinking about how they might start adopting that practice i think there are i would always think think of it in two ways one is in terms of the internal workings of the organization because it's relevant to how you how you were structured um, internally and how you operate internally. So I would encourage organisations to routinely think about this, the culture and structure that they have and think about the power dynamics that underpin that structure and that culture. Um, mm-hmm. Think about the, um, the processes and policies that they have within their organisation and the degree to which they make um, groups in the organisation visible, but maybe silence other groups in the organisation. It's really important to think mm-hmm. about. Think about people, you know, think about who in your organization feels seen and feels heard and feels, you know, feels accepted. Um, think about whose story you are validating in your organization in terms of how you operate. So that's internal. And then obviously the external. So, you know, Claire, you spoke about partnerships earlier, which is a really important area when we're thinking about positionality. So think about, you know, your partnerships. Think about how you show up in those partnership relationships. You know, have you been loud? Have you been silent? If so, why? Mm. Um, think about how often you try to utilize your position to create difference and to create better. And also think about how you, what you might do as an organization to ensure that you don't other people. So you don't other your partners, you don't other, other actors in the ecosystem as well. Thank you so much for that. I think that was um, really succinct um, list of things that, yeah, organizations um, can be doing and should, like you said, continually be doing, um, I think is so, so important to never feel like that's it, we're done, we've identified it and we are now uh, sorted forever. Um, so thank you for highlighting that especially. Um, and Claire, just coming over to you, don't know if there were any if there was anything you also would like to add to that. Um, I know you reflected on what Cymru Africa um, has done itself and maybe are there any other things that you think uh, you would like to see, whether it's internally or in the sector um, as well? Yeah, um, the two pieces um, of discussion that Tina just mentioned that made me really kind of stop for a second and think was one about... um, the need to constantly revisit your positionality. I think that's really important. Um, It definitely changes depending on who and what you're working on at any given moment. Um, And the other 
um, thing that Tina spoke about again was culture and structure as well. Um, it made me think very much about the international development um, sector in the last couple of years. Um, I won't name specific organisations, but you've had kind of large organisations move from being um, absolutely like bastions of apparent good practice and hold a lot of kind of trust with the public. And then through kind of various mm-hmm. safeguarding scandals and things like that, they've absolutely kind of slipped from that position in terms of needing to rebuild not only their image, but the ways they work and the issues they take seriously. But it got me to thinking slightly about a wider discussion about positionality as well. And I think that's around what you were saying about culture, Tina, in that in a small organisation, I think the positionality of the organisation is very often made up of who the people are who are working in the organisation. It's easy to change. It's easier for personal values to come through. It's easier to kind of be a bit agile and change the way you're working and thinking. And I think in massive organisations, I've always been of the view that an organisation is no more than the people it's made up of. But you do find in some big organisations that the culture prevails no matter how hard they try to change the processes and the people working for them. So I think there's a piece of work possibly to be done in observing how positionality will attract and reinforce what's always happened Mm. and has always occurred. So Mm. you often see big organisations going through these massive moments of introspection, reflection, and then they try to come out the other side in a different position and find themselves actually reinforcing what's always existed. So, Mm. yeah, so what Tina was saying on those issues, I think, uh, should be observed and they sh- it shouldn't just be about your kind of introspection, reflection, but it should also be about looking outward and looking at how you positionally you sit. I imagine there's lots of people who want to work in a different way in international development or global solidarity, as we speak about it a bit more in Wales, who would never work with some of the organisations that occupy the space because their position is that of white, middle class, old fashioned Um, and also probably dangerous or risky or any of those other things so so to constantly be able to observe your positionality is so important if you want to actually work well or make change Mm -hmm. thank you Claire for that that was um yeah really also insightful especially in looking at how positionality kind of comes through in much smaller organisations. Um, yeah, that level of agility that you mentioned is is very true. And and I guess differs, you know, depending on the size, depending on the context, um, like Tina said earlier. And so as we round up, I'm wondering if uh, both of you, if you have um, any tip or rule of thumb for our listeners, um, especially the small organisations uh, which have partner organisations um, in Africa. Is there any general rule of thumb or quick tip that you'd like to give our listeners regarding positionality? From my perspective, when thinking about positionality on a very, very like day-to-day work basis, and if you're truly working in partnership, it's to think about the positionality of um, both your partners, yourself and the people that you're working with. So in my mind, when I was like thinking through how to do it, I would never suggest a Wales-based organisation do a needs assessment, for example, because the positionality and the lens that you're looking at your work through is not correct. It never will be correct. You can never 
absolutely step into the shoes of someone in the partner country that you're working with but actually your positionality should be to read that um, needs assessment for example understand it and then use your positionality to maybe leverage funding and also drive a locally led agenda so saying like this is really good work I'm here I've access to funding but what I want from the funder is to actually fund directly the organizations to deliver this work so mm-hmm. constantly thinking about your positionality um, in direct relationship to how you work with each other and not to be worried about your positionality we talk about privilege a lot um, the good thing about having privilege is you are able to mobilize it in a way if used correctly to support other people and to um, to open doors or to kind of ensure that partners are supported, you don't have to be extractive and you don't have to be the centre in that work and you don't have to be delivering that work. So they're the two things I would probably consider in a Wales-based context with small organisations. And then I'm going to sit back and listen to Tina and take notes so I know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Claire. Well, I think everything I think everything you've just said, Claire, is amazing, and I would completely agree with that. The only thing I would add is it can be for for organisations, especially those who haven't really engaged in 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 even considering positionality or considering power or anything like that. It can be a bit uncomfortable, and so my um, just you know thought for organisations is it's uncomfortable, but that's part of the process. So step into it, you know, um, sit with your, you know, members of your leadership team, sit with members of the staff body, really think about who you are as an organisation, how you present in an organisation, what privilege you may have as an organisation because of where you're based, because of who um, sits on your leadership team, because of, you know, the um, who funds you. Think about that and don't shy away from naming it. So recognise that this is what you have in your organisation. Um, it's really important to name it because, as we said, positionality is power. So it's important to name, um, you know, give a name to how you show up in a space, give a name to the degree of influence that you might have in a space. That's really, really important. Um, and I'd say that, um, you know, as I said, positionality is power. And we all have a responsibility to use the power that we have responsibly. So um, it is a, you know, there, there is a, a, a moral, ethical imperative for organisations to really do this work, especially organisations who work in the development space. Thank you so much, Tina, um, for that great tip. Um, and thank you, Claire, as well. Thank you both um, for this wonderful discussion around positionality. I've definitely learnt a lot um, and I know our listeners have too. I'd like to say thank you, Faith, um, for always presenting a really interesting topic of discussion and um, taking us into a position where we really have to scrutinise what we're doing and what we're thinking about. Um, It's always really useful and I'm always pleased to listen to the podcasts that you get involved in and now to actually be able to participate in one. So thank you. Um, Thanks for creating this space and I hope other people enjoy listening to it. And um, thank you. Yeah, Yeah, same here. This has been a great conversation. I've appreciated how open and reflective it's been. Um, So yes, I, I just encourage those who are listening to Um, take some time to reflect after they've listened to this and start to think about what changes they can make in their organisations. Fabulous. 
Um, and on that note, I will bid our listeners adieu. Uh, thank you for listening. Oh, wow, Faith, that was brilliant. Uh, I really enjoyed that. It gave me lots of food for thought. So what would you say your biggest takeaway from that was? Uh, there, there's so many. Um, you know, I think Tina's spot on when she asks us to think about how we show up and how other people view us, because she's right. All relationships, either friendships or professional work-based relationships or a mix of both, they still have power dynamics built into them, whether we're conscious of them or not. Um, I'm certainly guilty myself of going into a situation not fully informed about the historical context or being frankly clueless of how a community's history impacts how I show up and how I'm viewed. Um, Faith, what advice would you have? What advice would you give to somebody who's working in partnerships with people from outside of their own community? Um, I would say start by doing your homework. Do your homework in terms of understanding the history. What is the history of that region, that context, Mm -hmm. that specific area, um, the community you're working with? um, Understand what's come before, because that will give you an insight into how you are positioned in that existing power dynamic um, and the organisation itself. So I think that's a really important place to start. Um, Understand as well, um, generally, the roots of the sector. Um, So those colonial legacies that exist, I think it's really, really important to understand understand that because, again, that will inform how you interact with um, the community or with the partner organisation. Um, I think those are two really important things. And once you've understood uh, the roots, understood the history, I think it's really then important to ensure that you are working in a way which which acknowledges that and seeks to, I don't want to, I don't think the term is dismantle, but seeks to avoid reinforcing those um, colonial legacies or whatever historical context that is specific to the area or the community you're working in. I think it once you know what's come before, you can ensure that you don't um, repeat the same mistakes or make things worse. Um, so I think it's really, really important to, yeah, one, understand the history of the context, two, understand the roots, and three, ensure that you do not reinforce um, any colonial imperialistic legacies. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Faith. I absolutely agree with you. There's loads of material out there to help us kind of get going to understand. Tons, tons. And the other thing is, is to ask, right? I mean, Tina talks about internal structures and she says that when we look at our organizations and our partnerships to think about who is silenced and who is visible um i guess i guess my question for you would be you know on a more personal level how do we understand how people experience this and um how do we understand what the impact of of working with us is so i think um when it comes to experiences, it's really important to understand that while there will likely be very generalised, similar experiences for groups of people, there is always nuance in that. And that nuance essentially means that 
my experience is different from the next person experience, even though we could both be uh, two um, working class um, Western based individuals, we can still have a very, very different experience from each other, even though we still fit into the same group. So it's really, really important to remember those nuances um, when you are working and when you are thinking of people's experiences. So I think ensure that, you know, with more generalized groups, look at the intersections, look at the parts that perhaps you you think might be a bit complicated and actually dig into it. Don't shy away from it. Talk to people that have that lived experience or or know a lot about it. I think it's really important to not shy away from sometimes those more compl- complicated um, elements of people's experiences. Um, and I think understanding the impact, I think once you have that knowledge of the nuance and the or the knowledge that nuance just exists, that allows people, organisations, to then engage with communities, um, their partner organisations in a manner that they can uh, understand their own positionality. So understand uh, their own power, their own privilege in that particular context or working with that particular group of people. And then that can allow you to utilise that privilege or step back or just know what to do when you are working in a way that ensures that you aren't reinforcing power imbalances. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you the, the Tina said about um, how it's a work in progress, isn't it? How we're never done. We've never finished with it yeah, because it, in different situations, I've got different positionality in, in, in a different situation that I'm in. Um, and I think you said to me before, Faith, that... Um, just because you might know a couple of positions, there are still other positions to consider. I'm not articulating it very well. Uh. But yeah, no, I, I think I remember what you're referring to in that, you know, understanding your position, like Tina said herself, isn't, it's not the end goal. It's something that you will do repeatedly because it can change depending on the context, depending on the group. Um, so it's something that has to be, continuously reflected on yeah yeah absolutely thank you um I think one of the things that you know just as some closing kind of thoughts was uh Claire at the end was talking about how the strength of smaller organizations is that being small um their culture can change more quickly and they have more agility um I guess I'd like to pick your thoughts really about how can the Wales Africa community, small and micro charities, you know, based in Wales, how can they maximise on this strength of being small? Um, I think within the Wales community, especially um, accessing the support that's already available. Um, I know that, you know, as a smaller organisation, there can be so many things to do, so many things to consider. But there is so much support in the Wales and Africa community that I think it's so important for people, for organisations to take advantage of that. Um, I know it it might sound a bit like an ad now, but um, I think 
you know, reaching out to organizations um, such as SSAP or, or Hub Cymru Africa and asking a question, I think, is something that smaller organizations can do very easily. It's very easy to have an issue and just quickly send an email and also get a as quick response and then start, you know, making those changes, start implementing better policies, better practices. I think within the Wales and Africa community, there really is so much support and that support can also be um, giving in quite a short space of time. So I think to maximise on that small um, size, I think it's really important, yeah, to just um, reach out, reach out for help, reach out when you don't know something. I think a great thing about Hub Cymru Africa that um, Claire kind of alluded to actually is that uh, in HCA, it's an organisation that also understands where its limits are. And, you know, if there's something that HCA doesn't know that an organisation needs, it will find who does. It will point you in the right direction. It will, you know, send you to the right person. And so I think that's something that the Wales and Africa, the Wales and Africa community um, can really take advantage of, um, especially for smaller organisations. Yeah, thank you. Well, I love a plug for Hope Coming Africa and SSAP, of course, they're, you know, do the same kind of work, isn't it? Um, and I guess what's really important um, is that, it's like a safe space that's judgment free and that, you know, we're, we're caring and supportive. Um, and, uh, yeah, we are definitely like a safe space to come and speak to us about any questions you have or anything that you're unsure of. So thank you for the plug faith. No worries. No <laughs> so worries. I haven't asked you about your takeaway kind of what was your biggest feels from, uh, the, the conversation you had? Um, Actually, kind of continuing off of what I've just said, I think a big takeaway for me was something that Claire actually alluded to right at the beginning when she spoke about how HCA reflects on its own positionality um, and using that. I think that was such a great point to remember that positionality doesn't have to be this scary topic or this doom and gloom oh no, I'm a really privileged organisation person um, and that's terrible. You can actually use that positionality. You can use that positionality to highlight the voices of other people who have been silenced or marginalised. You can use that privilege, that power in ways that can actually disrupt some of those colonial legacies. So there is good that can come out of locating your positionality. Um, and I think that's something that's really important to remember when you are undertaking this work. Um, it can lead to good things. It can be positive. Yeah, thank you, Faith. I absolutely agree with you. I think it can do nothing but leave, lead to positivity, right? There's strength in recognising your own strength and your own areas of expertise, but also recognising, yeah, where is your time to step back? Where is your yeah. time to kind of, yeah. what, what spaces are you occupying and how do you make the most of, you know, your skills, your experience, your strengths? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, brilliant. Faith, thank you so much for um, organising that um, interview and for hosting it so well. It was a really lovely, no lovely discussion. Thank you. No worries. Thank you for working with me and speaking with me.
<laughs> love working with you, Faith, always. So that's it. That's a wrap. Uh, thank you very much to our guests. Our next podcast is going to be uh, looking at Meal, which is monitoring, evaluation, accountability, and learning. I know it doesn't sound very exciting, but it will be. So um, tune in to have a listen to that. Thanks, Faith. Bye. Bye.